Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome in, and you've reached episode number three in our series on athletic performance. And today I'm going to be joined by Christina Jeffries, Mike Schroeder, and Matt Dorn. We're going to discuss in-season versus off-season training. As I said, this is episode number three in our four-part series on athletic performance. If you missed one of our first two episodes, please go back and find those. First, an overview of athletic performance here at Penn State with Rhianne Davis and everything that it encompasses. And then also our second episode on load monitoring and the use of the catapult system here at Penn State. But again, this episode is on in-season versus off-season training and what a veteran crew of athletic performance coaches we have with us today. First, as always, I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves, give you a little bit into their background and how they got started in this field, and then we'll dive into the nitty-gritty. Talk about the difference between training athletes in different sports, but also different times of the year. So enjoy this episode, episode number three in a four-part series on athletic performance here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. All right, so this is our third podcast in this series about athletic performance. And as we started with the first two, we'll go around the room, have everyone introduce themselves, and uh, just a little background, not only the teams you work with here at Penn State, but a little background on yourself. Uh, my name is Matt Dorn, Assistant Director of Athletic Performance here at Penn State. Um, been here seven years, currently working with men's lacrosse, women's volleyball. Uh, when I got hired, I was men's lacrosse and swimming and diving, and have, have since kind of and promoted and moved on through there. Um, came to Penn State from some smaller schools. Worked at Hobart and William Smith for a few years. Um, they have Division One lacrosse. Everything else is Division Three. And then spent some time at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute (RPI) for a few years. Um, also primarily Division Three with D1 ice hockey. Hi, I'm Michael Schroeder. Um, been here nine, probably close to ten years now. Uh, primarily work with wrestling, men's volleyball, and men and women's fencing. Uh, bounced around a little bit, did internships uh, pretty much around the East Coast on the country, and ended up here at Penn State. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, Christina Jeffries. I am the assistant director of athletic performance here at Penn State. Uh, work with men's and women's ice hockey. I've uh, been here for a little over nine years. Got hired with Mike. Um, so we've got the tenured crew in here with us today. A couple different sports I've worked with since I've been hired, uh, track and field, women's rugby, uh, men's soccer, and women's lacrosse, um, but I've found a home over in Pagula Ice Arena. Well, I think this is a really cool group to get together, which should make this podcast uh, pretty entertaining and informative. We'll dive into some in-season, off-season training stuff, but I think let's just start with that. Like your sport, hockey, What's unique about training for hockey? And we'll go back around the room the other way. Well, I think we'll kind of start off with the fact that it's off-ice training and on-ice training. So it is a completely different surface that you have to work with. You know, there's obviously some carryover. It's a speed and power sport. I think body composition plays a huge role into it. Uh, I think, um, especially on the muscle mass side, you know, everything that we do, whether it's off-season or in-season, is going to be geared towards that on-ice performance and, and how well they can they can skate, produce power, um, you know, and then manage them physically on the ice. So I think that's the biggest kind of 
part that I tackle every year. Uh, with wrestling, I mean, it's uh, it's unique in the sense that guys in the off season, uh, that we talk about their walk around weight. How much do you walk around that? And then in season, it's what are you weighing in at? So you have to be certified for a specific weight class, which it's can be challenging uh, for some of these guys, especially kind of building their way down, like working their way down in their weights. So having to monitor that on a weekly basis and be like, okay, we might have to change something this week when it comes to the way you're working out because how you're shedding your weight, you know, you have to be make it gradual. So it makes it kind of fun and uh, really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, just talking about women's volleyball a little bit, um, it's a really exciting sport for me to work with. Um, you basically get to train strength and power year-round. You know, you look at some of the athletes, particularly in Big Ten volleyball, and, and you've got some kids that can just jump out of the gym so high and take such big swings at the ball that, you know, we want to make sure that, that we're not only competing but, but trying to do a little bit better as far as how much power we can produce um, with our outsides and our middles and then be able to repeat that effort, right? So you can play up to five sets in volleyball, and we want to be jumping – and taking swings, you know, just as much in that fifth set as we are in that first set. Um, so it's important that we train accordingly to do that. And then I'd say that, you know, you got to know the positional differences in volleyball. So you look at someone like a DS or a libero, um, they don't really need to worry about jump height, but they cover a lot of ground. Um, they got to be able to move explosively laterally to get the balls and play appropriate defense. And then lastly, you look at what a setter has to do and, you know, they're, their conditioning needs to be at a higher level. I mean, they're running all over the place trying to put the ball in a, in a good position possible for the hitters. And um, it's just really exciting to have all those little unique capabilities and, and differences of those positions and then be able to attack that from a training standpoint. I think a lot of our audience will know the hour regulations that you have, but we'll go into that here as we start to talk about what an offseason look like, looks like. And I think, Mike, yours may look a little different depending on some of the athletes and what they have what their aspirations are on the international circuit. What does an off-season look like compared to an in-season? Just how would you describe what an off-season training plan looks like and the time that you have with an athlete? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, volleyball is starting up uh, next week here, so I'll kind of just keep playing with that example. Um, they've had about a month or so off since the end of their season, um, and we just kind of take it pretty slow. I mean, we've got from essentially January until we start preseason in August – we're in eight hours a week, so we, we spend a good chunk of that, typically around four or five doing strength conditioning. And right now it's like, let's start moving well again, um, and then kind of slowly and progressively start building our strength foundation. And then the closer we get to the season down the road, we can start thinking about being more explosive, start thinking about being able to train to repeat those explosive efforts, ramp up conditioning for certain positions. But it's kind of a, a very very slow, methodical process. We're in no hurry to be in, in peak conditioning right now, but we certainly want to kind of initiate getting some strength back in the month of January and February. Um, just touching on what you were talking about there, um, yeah, it just depends on what the kids' goals are. I mean, if they're going to try and make a world team or an Olympic team right after nationals, I mean, if they make that decision, it's four weeks until they have to get to a qualifying event and you know, if you have to place there, you end up going four weeks later to, you know, the world team trials or Olympic team trials. And uh, it's kind of like it's a continued season at that point. And you're just rolling with the punches, trying to figure things out and still managing their weight uh, because they'll make weight here. And next thing you know, they come back, they have a heavier walk around weight. You get a little bit of training in, then you got to bring them back down. You know, athletes that aren't 
uh, trying to make that team this year. Their goals are, oh, I want to go down a weight class. I want to kind of get stronger at the weight class I'm at. Some kids want to bump a weight class or they feel like they were a little bit too small at that weight class. So um, how we train after that conversation is going to be dictated on whatever it is they're you know, looking to do for the following year. KJ, I think the next step in this discussion is, yeah, you want to make strides in the off season, and you have a lot of time to make strides in the off season. But just because a season starts doesn't mean you stop doing training in the weight room. I think, you know, probably going from high school to college, some elite athletes already know this, but it's also a realization that just because the season starts doesn't mean you stop training because you'll really lose a lot of the progress that you make. Oh, absolutely. So in season, you know, it's we're fortunate enough to kind of have that mid-season break. So basically the entire first semester, we're training pretty hard three days a week. Um, and that training doesn't necessarily stop um, in the second summer session or the second session of season. So um, we're still going three days a week, but the volume is cut back. So that's our, my biggest management is how much volume comes from the weight room um, uh, versus on ice. Dorn, what does your in-season versus off-season look like? I mean, uh, I'll kind of move to, to men's lacrosse example. Um, you have a long time in season. I mean, I'm looking back to the, the 2019 season where we went all the way to the Final Four. I mean, that's 21 weeks long. So if you're not taking advantage of that, you're, you're kind of losing opportunities to get better. Um, so with lacrosse, we typically go two days a week for the whole team and then three days a week um, for guys that need a little bit more, maybe red shirts, guys that don't play as much. And then the starters will also do like a 15-minute primer lift um, to get them kind of you know feeling explosive, feeling fresh the day before a game. Um, and, and then I think you, you also have to use the tools that we have available. Um, we're very fortunate at Penn State to have – you know, things to, to measure velocity of the barbell, you know, force plates to, to look at athletes' jumps. So throughout the course of that in-season training, you know, you're able to what's called auto-regulate what each athlete gets based on, you know, how fast they can move a barbell, how fresh they are that day uh, based on their jumps. And it lets us uh, take a really unique approach to, to what we're giving those athletes. What are you using, Mike, when you're looking at wrestlers? What are some of the feedback? What's the feedback that you get from them throughout the season because, you know, like a lacrosse, like hockey, which could be September until April, wrestling also can be a long year as a team prepares for a big dual meet against, let's say, Iowa coming up here in a couple of weeks. Then you're preparing for Big Tens. Then you turn around and you still have to prepare for nationals as well. And you want to be at peak performance for each of those opportunities to be out there. So I like to look at it as like picking your spots. So it's on a weekly, monthly, once you hit conference competition, everything's subject to change at that point. You can have a plan, but then, you know, you get stuck at an airport or you, know, you have a mandatory day off or the travel plans, you know, change. That'll adjust what you plan on doing, especially with each weight class. So like even if you have, say, three kids at the same weight, they all have different needs. One kid might be like, all right, I need to get an extra lift in because I'm a little bit smaller. But, you know, it's the week leading up to Iowa might be a lighter load week. You know, just the emphasis being on weight management, feeling fresh. And then you look at the following week, it's like, okay, maybe we have a home match. Managing it through the entire season until you get the Big Tens and Nationals. Hey, KJ, I'm still fascinated by the point you made earlier about training for on the ice versus off the ice because there's not ice everywhere. Sometimes in State College there is, but there's certainly not ice everywhere. Can you talk about that dynamic more? Yeah, I think it really comes down to 
you know, building work capacity. So how can I build up work capacity? How can I simulate in some way if we don't have ice or these guys go home over the summer and don't have ice or something like that? You know, they have to be able to push really hard for six or seven reps and then take a little bit of a break, push really hard, six, seven reps, take a little break. So I can do that through through sprints if I need to. They don't love it. No, no on-ice athlete loves that. Um, or we'll do, you know, bike intervals, Again, not great. It can come from the weight room side of things. It can come from sled pushes, things like that. So while I can't necessarily simulate that, I can build up their work capacity and their ability to tolerate load. And then that will transfer onto the ice from a cardiovascular standpoint. And you're training for 30, 45, hopefully not 60 second shifts. Meanwhile, you're training for an eight minute match. So that that's a real interesting comparison there too absolutely i mean for us you look at it as like you know i don't not i'm not too worried about how conditioned you are when you're 10 15 even maybe 20 pounds you know or at a walk around weight what matters is when you're down the weight can you sustain that threshold and just keep putting out work so your wrestling weight conditioning is way more important so that descent plan is important then Volleyball is interesting because you have to have the short spurts for a rally, but it's also could be a five set match that goes on for two and a half hours. You know, what are the focuses in training to make sure someone has the longevity, but also the quick burst to accelerate and go get a ball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of similar to what KJ was mentioning with kind of the speed, power, endurance, um, and it's position specific. So you know, your middles, your outsides, you know, you're probably working for ten seconds or less for most points. So being able to repeat that multiple times through training, simulating, you know, three, four, five set match. And then certainly, you know, working with the setter, you know, their overall endurance and uh, ability to to repeat their efforts is a little bit different, right? They're constantly moving, covering ground. You know, you could put a, a GPS unit on them, which, which we're starting to do. And and they, they cover more ground than you would probably realize. Um, so so making sure that they can handle that throughout the course of time with, with what you're doing, whether it's running, biking, um, obviously lots of modes to achieve that, uh, that goal to get them ready. You talked about some of the great resources available to athletes here already. KJ, you're fortunate we're at Pagool Ice Arena. The athletes are literally steps from their locker room to the area they can come to for strength and conditioning. Then they can go to a rapid shot room. And then they can walk out on the ice all within a matter of a couple of feet there. That's one of the great benefits that you have at Pagula, which is a first-class facility. Yeah, it really is. We're beyond fortunate. It's definitely a, a pro mentality. And whatever you need to make yourself better, uh, it is, it's here. And we have the resources. You just got to come in and utilize them. We're fortunate, too. I mean, when you come right out of the wrestling room, you have the weight room right there. You have the contrast baths. I mean, everything is right inside the Lorenzo Wrestling Complex. And all you got to do is take a short walk upstairs to the locker room that was just actually updated. So, again, we are pretty fortunate as well. Yeah, same goes for volleyball, in rec call. And then the cool thing about East Area is there are so many teams that train there and a lot of money has gone into facilitate upgrades to that facility but there's so many teams there so you have a lot of interaction between the teams it really is a good hub yeah um you know they're they're renovating the the lounge area they're putting in a fueling station currently i know the the men's lacrosse team is really excited about that it's probably going to be be wrapped up within the next month um and then like you said the camaraderie of being able to you know hang out with other athletes whether it's women's lacrosse field hockey um, other teams that are in there training baseball, softball, and you can kind of just grab a snack, hang out, chat for a second, or have a seat on the couch. 
um, you know, relax after a tough practice while while getting the, to know someone new and different that you might not see on a regular basis. So it's a pretty cool environment and a, and a nice little kind of mixing bowl of, of different athletes coming through there. Uh, wrap it up with one more comment from each of you. This is always something, and I know you're always learning in this profession, constantly evolving, trying to make sure that your athletes have the best possible experiences and are also at their best. What is something that during your time at Penn State, you said this is kind of the tenured group here, that you've learned, you feel like you've improved yourself because of the opportunity that you've had here at Penn State? I think it's going to be educating the athletes. They want to know why they're doing things, and they want to know, and we have the resources, so why am I choosing this option in my fueling station? Why am I going to do a speed and conditioning workout? How is that going to benefit me? And the buy-in from these student-athletes, because they want to work, they want to win, is incredible. So that's something that's really, really stood out to me over my nine years here. I would actually go with um, the sports science department. I think Nelly's been a great addition since he was brought on. And just the growth of that department, what they've gotten us as far as, you know, the technologies that are coming out with the GPS units, the force plates, um, men's volleyball now has the vert system to track jumps. Um, and just the education that they give us and just like, you know, tracking things. And again, just comes back to showing the athletes, this is what, you know, things are looking like, you know, we ask you to do all these tests and you want to see it, here you go. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's just, uh, you know, making sure you kind of leave no stone unturned uh, when you're going about the preparation process. You know, we, we've talked at length about multiple resources and tools and it could be in the weight room, it could be nutritionally, you know, we could be talking about tools to use for sleep. You know, the athletes were recently equipped with whoop bands to track their sleep quality. Um, so there's so much available to us to just make sure we're leaving no stone unturned and how we get our athletes ready to, to play at their best. All right, kidding. I had one more question just because you brought something up there. Preparation process. You talk about it for an athlete. What is your preparation process like as you prepare on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, month-to-month, year-to-year even? What's your preparation process like? I think that'd be fascinating for fans to hear. Extremely high doses of caffeine on a regular basis. <laughs> I'll second that. <laughs> you have the the day changer, the game changer, and the life changer? It's the mood changer, the day changer, and then the life changer. That's the three. I've been around Mike long enough that you don't mess around with the life changer, but you get yourself in the middle there. It's a good amount of caffeine. Well, I really appreciate it. I think this is a fantastic podcast. Another great episode in our series here on athletic performance. And I appreciate the three of you uh, giving some valuable time here. Thanks so much. Really tremendous insight there. I'm still fascinated by training athletes for on ice competition. And how do you simulate that when you're away from the ice and in wrestling, weight management, and everything that Matt works with? whether it's lacrosse or volleyball. So thanks so much to that trio for joining me on this episode. This was episode three, again, in a four-part series on athletic performance at Penn State. Coming up, our final episode, talking about year-round and Olympic cycle sports. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Don't forget to check back in on all of the others as well. If you like what you heard here today, rate, subscribe, review our podcast, share it with your family and friends. I'm sure they'll be very interested in what we're discussing with this group. I know it's been a fascinating series for me so far. I'm Brian Tripp. Thanks again for tuning in to Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.